you know, sometimes our hearts just burn within us when we hear something like the men that were on the road that Jesus walked up and they didn't recognize him, but they didn't understand. We have to be able to recognize God even when we don't understand. We have to be able to know when something's God even when we don't understand it all. And some people have to have all the explanations, but that's how it's been with Pastor and I as God has led us is that we didn't understand everything Pastor Buzzy brought when he came. In fact, Pastor Buzzy threw me into a tizzy because it's like, oh my word, i got to change everything about how I believed. Everything I'd been taught, not by the Baptist, I'd already changed all that, but everything I'd been taught after I came into Charismatic and then into faith. And, and thank heavens, so much of what we were taught was right, but still, Pastor Buzzy threw some things in there that I was like, my head was spinning. Now it's not, I listen to him and go, absolutely, well, isn't that the truth? But our hearts burned within us. We had a witness in our hearts that this is true, even though we didn't understand. And the same thing happened as we've moved forward in God, several different ministers. When God brought our attention to Curry Blake, when we listened to him, we went, oh my word, we're going to have to change a lot of the ways we minister healing. And I didn't understand everything. Even things I'm understanding now, I didn't understand a year and a half ago. But my heart burned within me. I knew he had keys that we needed to grab a hold of. First of all, this is kind of introductory for at first. Jesus never taught healing. Think about it for a minute. Think about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Jesus never taught on healing. So that's an interesting thought. He always taught the gospel of the kingdom and he taught on authority that accompanies the kingdom. He taught fellowship and relationship with God. Hallelujah. Then think about the apostles and, and what they wrote, the books that the apostles wrote. They never taught healing, not one time. And the epistles, in the epistles, the apostles explained our union with God through Christ. And in Paul's epistles, they were written to correct error. Paul did that by explaining what Christ accomplished on our behalf and who we were in Christ. There are really only two things you need to know about healing. This is the main two things as far as foundational things. Now, it's not, not the only two things you need to know to minister healing, but your foundation for healing in the Word of God, which we have taught many, many times for years and years and years, and nothing's changed about what we taught on our foundation for healing. The only thing that's changed is how we were taught to minister healing. Our foundation for healing, number one, is healing is always God's will. That's the number one thing to understand in having a foundation for healing. Until you understand that, you're lost. You're just kind of wandering around in a fog where healing is concerned. And then the next thing you have to know for sure is, did God command believers to heal the sick? Now, if we could remove all past experiences that we had in this room concerning healing, all the times we prayed for people, all the times we were prayed for and what did or didn't happen, remove all past experiences and all teaching 
that we've ever taught that negated the scriptures. And there are some things I've taught. And it takes a lot of courage to stand up here. See, a lot of preachers that hear these truths, they won't grab hold of it and take it into their church because they would have to get up and say, well, everything I taught you for the last 15 years is basically wrong. It takes a lot of courage to just say, you know, we taught y'all wrong. And there are some areas where I admit now, I see it now, but here's what I always say about my parents, my grandparents, because my grandmother was the best Christian you could know at that time, but she walked in all the light she had, and <laughs> she didn't have a lot of light. You know, she might could have had more light. You know, think about what we didn't know before the internet. Well, think about what we didn't know that's good before the Internet. At least think about that. Anyway, uh, think of what the Internet has opened up to us and things we didn't know. So if we removed all past experience and all past teaching that negates the Scriptures, there would not be any hesitation or doubt in any of our minds. Now we're on the, if the Word says it, we believe it. We're not adding anything to it, and we're not taking anything away from it. Okay? So Matthew 28, 18 through 20, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Verse 20, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And so we have there Jesus saying all power had been given unto him in heaven and earth. And then he turns right around and commissions us with that power that's given unto him. And then go over to Mark chapter 16. Full gospel. We are full gospel. You know, when we got filled with the Spirit, we loved Mark 16. And boy, I tell you, it threw the Baptist in a tizzy in 1980. Mark 16, verse 17. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So those two things that we had to know, that it's always God's will to heal. Hallelujah. And number two, God did command believers to heal the sick. We know that from Mark chapter 16. Glory to God. There's only uh, two reasons for failure when it comes to healing the sick. Now, we can resolve this quickly. When we find out there's just two reasons for us to have failure, we can resolve this very quickly. It says in Matthew 17, we're going to get a real solid foundation on healing the sick as we study. Verse 19, and we're going to read down through verse 20. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. And then verse 21, we see this, Howbeat this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. Jesus here told us the reason that the disciples could not heal. This was that young boy whose father came and he was, uh, I don't know if it was a demon or if it was epilepsy, 
but it was throwing him into the fire and and all sorts of things like that. And so the disciples tried but failed. And so they asked Jesus, why could we not do that? He made it very plain in verse 20, because of your unbelief. Make note of that, write it down, circle it in your Bible because of your unbelief. I want you to notice some things there. Then he said unto them, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, the mustard seed is one of the very smallest seeds, if not the smallest, one of the very smallest. And so what Jesus was telling us here was that it doesn't take big faith or a lot of faith to heal the sick or to cast this demon out of this young man. It's not the size of your faith. It's not how much faith you have, but it's the quality of your faith. It's always about quality of faith not about size of faith. The way we get quality of faith is to eliminate all unbelief. I want you to notice that one of the things that you need to know is unbelief, the definition of unbelief is refusal to believe. Doubt is not the same. It is choosing not to believe or choosing to believe something else or a different source. So you have to think about that. Sometimes we're not choosing not to believe because we would never want to say of ourselves, well, I'm choosing not to believe the Bible today. But what happens is another source, like a doctor, could present himself and us choose to believe that source versus believing the Word of God, and that would be unbelief. Or we choose to believe something else. If something happens, like for instance, it, maybe it's not another source, but you know, you're believing for finances, you're believing for God to pay your income tax or something, and you've believed God, and then all of a sudden the refrigerator breaks down and you've got to buy a new refrigerator, something else interrupted your believing and caused you to quit believing the Word of God. And that would be a, a kind of unbelief. So one thing that the reason for failure is unbelief. And then Mark seven thirteen, we can eliminate unbelief because believing is choosing. Believing is choosing to believe the Word of God above all else. Above experience, above what we've been taught, it's choosing to believe the Word of God. Above, no matter what the doctor says, believing the Word of God. And when we come into our healing rooms and we begin to minister to people, we need to choose to believe the Word of God above what they say. Yes. Above how they act. Above the things that they do or, or might say. Mark seven thirteen. So we have to get that really firm down in our heart. Making the Word of God none effect through your tradition which ye have delivered and many such like things do ye that's the second thing that is a reason for failure is traditions of men the traditions of men which make the word of god of none effect you will hear when you listen to your curry blake dht he's going to talk about sacred cows and that's what a sacred cow is is a tradition of man, a belief or tradition that is held regardless of the truth. And that would be like, well, you know, my grandmother's, that's what she said. And I think one thing we have done is 
sometimes we read the Word of God, but we trust others to be able to interpret it for us more than we trust what we understand and get from the Word of God. Because the Word of God is very easy and plain. Just take it literally for what it says. But maybe we've heard that Grandma said or we've heard a preacher say, and we say, well, you know, I don't trust my interpretation as much as I trust their interpretation, but that would be wrong because then we're going to get off into traditions of men. And, you know, we have to bear with one another. If you hear me say something and you go, well, the Word doesn't say that. Well, that's where we can have discussion. One of the things Curry often says, and you will hear him say this, uh, now we're not even believing anything because Curry said it. And we need to get to the place where we don't say, well, Curry said, or Smith Wigglesworth said, or Brother Hagen said, but we just say the Bible says. And the reason for that is because sometimes we're kind of wanting to convince people that it's really true. But this is one thing you'll hear him say. The only hindrance to healing is that you believe there are hindrances to healing. And sometimes one of the things that with Curry, as you're listening to your DHT, is sometimes he says things and they're true, but he doesn't explain them. But I made a decision. I choose to believe right now. I choose to believe that there are no hindrances to healing. And I'm going to tell you why, what I'm going to base this on. Not that people don't have issues in their hearts, in their lives. They do. Unforgiveness, everything in the world. I imagine we'll see everything in the world. But here's the basis for us being able to say there are no hindrances to healing. Here's the basis. The goodness and mercy and grace of Jesus is bigger than any work of the devil. That's why I can believe there's no hindrances. There's going to be things wagging our face and say, boy, you're not getting this one healed. And, and it's, sometimes it's going to be what's coming out of their mouth. And you're going to say, oh, my Lord. It's like, well, you shouldn't confess that. Well, they're going to be confessing everything in the world. You might as well prepare yourself for it, including what the doctor said and what they're saying and what Grandma said. But mark this down. We have to go into healing ministry in those rooms and block out everything they say, every way they act, everything they do, and say, this is between me and you, Jesus. And Jesus, I believe in your goodness. I believe in your mercy. I believe in your grace. Because of your goodness, and for God to let the devil and what he's done in people's lives hinder him from healing them, now, don't tell me in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, there wasn't some people with some awful bad problems and sin and unforgiveness and everything else, and they weren't even born again. And he did not let it stop him from healing. Ah, Hallelujah. But we've been taught. Well, there's going to be people that know nothing, and that'll be the good ones. The ones that know nothing are going to be the good ones. Hallelujah. The ones that know something and are religious, that's the ones you're really going to have to ignore. Well, God works in mysterious ways. His wonders to perform. I just tune that out in Jesus' name. See, one thing Smith Wigglesworth said that's right, we got to know our business. We know who we are. We know the name. We know the authority we have in that name. And we know he's good. And that's all we got to know. We can pretty much forget everything else. 
but you are going to have to lay aside some of the ways you pray. Pastor's been talking about that, about just quoting scripture and never pulling the trigger. We're all guilty that came up in the faith movement, just quote scripture. And the reason we're guilty, the reason we thought we were supposed to do that, and thank you, Lord, that they're healed. And thank you, Lord, and just thanking God, never pulling the trigger and taking our authority. The reason we did that is because we were taught don't pray twice. And when you're taught don't pray twice, you got to say something. So you just thank the Lord. Right? Okay. What the Bible says about divine healing. Divine healing is the right and responsibility of every Christian. It's our right to have it and our responsibility to give it. Any hindrance to the healing of any Christian is not of God. Nothing hindering God from healing. Including if they have unforgiveness, unbelief. God is not our problem. He is our help. Oh, we need to always know that. Any hindrance to healing is on the part of the enemy. Hallelujah. As one person said, the devil doesn't give up fast because he knows that most Christians will give up before he does if he just hangs around a while. But we're not going to be like that. Any sickness or disease can be overcome by a Christian if the Christian will exercise faith and power. In other words, if we pray according to authority and, the, and how the Word is, teaches us. The enemy is not a serious hindrance and can be overcome. We have a big God and a little devil. All we have to do is use the available tools and weapons provided by God. The enemy can only be truly defeated by spiritual weapons and not by carnal natural weapons devised by man. Christians and non-Christians without faith for healing can be healed when Christians exercise kingdom authority. In other words, whether they're Christian or non-Christian doesn't matter. And we don't have to get them saved first before healing them either. Forget that. They can be healed by us exercising kingdom authority. Ignore their lack of faith, their unbelief, and their wrong thinking. We're going to ignore all of that when we come into those healing rooms. Number nine, all sickness and disease is a work of the enemy and is to be defeated whenever and wherever they are encountered. We do not comment in our healing rooms concerning their use of medical treatment. Make no comment about whether they're taking pills, not taking pills, or their use of medical treatment. We do not comment on their vitamins, their supplements, or their essential oils or any of the stuff that they are doing. We do not take money from them for praying for them or ministering to them. If they want to get an offering, there will be an envelope on the tables. They're welcome to do that, but we do not just let them hand us money for healing. We do not blame the sick or their relatives for failure to receive healing. As far as we're concerned, the failure rests upon us, the prayers. That's new. Because, oh, I tell you what, now that was heavily taught. If you didn't receive, it was not the pastor's responsibility. It wasn't the preacher's responsibility. It was the people. We're going to start general and go only as deep as necessary. In other words, we're not going to try to dig into their past. or That may happen that it comes up, but we're not going to go after it first thing. We're going to start general with the command of faith and the authority of the believer the authority of the name of Jesus. Now, here's something I think needs thoroughly explaining because he just harps on in the DHT that there is no generational curse. So here we need to have some explanation on that because in the sense of 
the Old Testament where the Bible says God would visit upon the third and fourth generation the sins of the fathers, those curses would come upon the people. That was done away with in Christ. And there is no visitation of God of curses upon people. However, there are things that are passed through generations just in DNA. There are inherited things. There are DNA things that are inherited. It's not really what the Bible refers to as a generational curse, but it is generational and it is a curse because sickness is always a curse. But it's not God cursing people. So can you got to separate that out in your mind? One thing I personally believe, I have kind of watched this happen. Think about this. There's demons in the earth, and some of them inhabit people, and they bring disease to people, sickness and disease. Last week we heard Curry say, just pretty much assume all sickness is the devil. When somebody dies, if there is a demon causing their sickness, that demon is going to go somewhere. It does not cease to exist. And so what I think happens, and I believe I watched this happen in our family, was when that person died, that demon of cancer went right over to the next generation. Now, that wasn't God cursing. That was the devil or that demon trying to find a home, if you would. So we need to stop things from passing from our parents to us, we need to stop things. If, you know, if your kinfolks died of cancer, you shut the door and say, it's not coming here. It's not coming to the rest of our family. It's not coming. But it likes to go down and go down through the generations. I watched that happen. I do know for a fact that demons do not cease to exist. And that's why we have to come into the healing rooms under the blood and covered. It's because you cast one out, it's going to go somewhere. Pastor taught we can't send it to the bowels of the earth and to the uttermost reaches of hell and all those kind of things. In the Gospels, it said it went to the dry places seeking. But then it says it came back, the house, to see if it could get back in. We do not blame parents for their child's illness or for failure to be healed. We recognize Jesus alone as the only special one. Well, healing does not depend upon a gift. We know that. There are gifts. There are gifts of healings. We know Oral Roberts had one. We know William Branham had a gift of healing. But you can't sit around waiting on a gift. And you don't need a gift to heal. You heal with the authority of the believer. And that is true. Let's talk about final authority tonight. We know the Word is our final authority. That every experience we have must be judged by Scripture not Scripture judged by experience. The Bible says that the Word of God in Psalm 119.89, Forever, O Lord, thy Word is settled in heaven. Notice that God's Word is forever settled. It will never change. What it says today, it will say 100 years from now. And it said 100 years before this, too. You're not going to get God to change His mind to agree with you. You must change your mind to agree with Him. And here's another fact that I love this. God's Word never stops working. Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. So when we 
decree the word of God and we keep our faith. We realize that some healings will be recovery, as we talked about last week. We don't turn our faith off after any prayer session, knowing that that word is still out there. An example given here is light be, which is in the Genesis 1-3 in the King James Version, it says, let there be light. But in the Hebrew, it says light be. And when God spoke those words, light be, that has continued. It's never stopped. In fact, we know light is traveling at over 186,000 miles per second. And that, so that word light is still going forth even to this day. And when God says something once, it's still just working. It still works like clockwork. Therefore, we come back to the healing part and we can say God does not have to decree that any human being be healed. Why? Because he already said it. Jesus said it is finished, and Peter said, by whose stripes ye were healed. So it's already been said, so it's already a fact. It's just our responsibility as Christians to establish God's word on the earth. It's our responsibility to remove the enemy's works from the bodies of humans. So in other words, we enforce the defeat that has already been won over the enemy. Hallelujah. Psalm 138, verse 2. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Hallelujah. Malachi 3, 6. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Hebrews 13, 8 and 9. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. Luke one thirty eight. And Mary said, Behold the handmaiden of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Luke 2.29 Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. Luke 5, 5 through 7. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. John seventeen seventeen, Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. Matthew twenty two twenty nine. Jesus answered and said unto them, You do err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. John ten thirty four. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said ye are gods? If he called them gods unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken. That was a, that was a scripture I had never seen before. That it says the scripture cannot be broken in John ten thirty five. So we're going to step into now and cover for a minute, why did Jesus heal? First thing we'll establish is Jesus did not heal to prove he was the Son of God. And the one way we know that is because if Jesus healed to prove he was the Son of God, then we would never be able to heal anybody. We are the sons of God. But he did not prove to heal he was deity, that Son of God. That's not why he healed. But we will find out why he healed. We know that Jesus emptied himself and only operated in what was available to a man in right relationship with God. He emptied himself and operated totally as a man. Everything that Jesus did except go to the cross, 
and lead a sinless life. Those two things we cannot do that Jesus did. But other than that, if Jesus did it, if he walked on water, be it done unto you according to your faith. But a lot of times people approach this where people said, I just want him to heal them to prove to them, to prove to them that God still heals today or to prove to them that he is God, whatever. We know in 1 John 3, 8, he that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. But for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. He was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. Now, let's look at some scriptures. Turn to Matthew chapter 9, 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and hailing every sickness and every disease among the people. Verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. I want you to underline or circle. He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd, which is the same condition people are in today, by the way. Then saith he unto the disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth labors into his harvest. And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of diseases. So the Bible says in Matthew 9.35 through 10.1 that labors were ordained or sent out because of his compassion. That was his answer when he healed the sick and he said, I got to send out labors because he was moved with compassion. Now turn to Matthew 14, 14. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion to warm them and he healed their sick. The sick multitude was healed because of compassion. And the question we're answering is, why did Jesus heal the sick? Turn to Matthew chapter 20 and verse 29. And as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside. When they heard that Jesus passed by and cried out, saying, they cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And the multitude rebuked them, because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And Jesus stood still and called them and said, What will ye that I shall do unto you? They said unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be open. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight. So the blindness was healed because of compassion. Mark 1, verse 40. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and saith unto him, I will, be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. So the leprosy was healed because of compassion. Mark chapter 5, verse 18. And then when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. 
Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. Now this was the man that was in the graveyards, and they had to chain him. and So the devils were cast out of him because of compassion. Turn to Matthew 17, verse 14, and we're going to look at the first uh, sacred cow. So, uh, hallelujah. So we found a reason there why Jesus healed, and the first reason is compassion. Hallelujah. Well, that changes a lot of things, even about how we interpret these healing things in the Gospels. Uh, Matthew 17, 14, And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is lunatic and sore vexed. For oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came came to the then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said why could not we cast him out and Jesus said unto them because of your unbelief for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Notice some things. First, I want you to notice that this man asked for compassion. Now, we've just read a bunch of scriptures that said Jesus because he was moved for compassion. So if this man was going to pray or beseech Jesus, the very way to do that would be ask for compassion, ask for mercy. What we've tried to do is we've tried to find faith and well, they were really had faith because they did this. And you know, some of them did have faith in the gospels because Jesus said they did. Another thing, disciples came to him and said, why could we not cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. And one of the questions that always has dogged me through the years is, whose unbelief was it? But the whose unbelief it was, it was not the man, it was not the son. He was asking for mercy. It was the disciples' unbelief. That was why they could not cast him out. And then he says, Verily I say unto you, and he gives them again their lesson in authority. If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, not size but quality, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. So he teaches them again how to use authority, how to give the command of faith. He says to say to the mountain, Command it to do. What to do? Command it to remove. Hallelujah. Of course, we do that in Jesus' name. They wouldn't there. Uh, he had given them authority, and he reminds them of their authority and of their lesson in giving the command of faith. He tells them that it was because of their unbelief that they could not do it. Then in verse 21, your Bible says, I'm sure, How beat this kind goeth not out by prayer and fasting. It does, at least in the King James. But if you have a good Bible, those words are in italics, and that scripture that was added, it's not true. It is not true. You could mark it off with a permanent marker out of your Bible if you wanted to. And so we're going to find out why we know that this addition that the King James translators 
added why we know it's wrong. And we will find that in Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. We know that it was not in the original. Your Bible may even say this was not in the original text. But, but we can prove from the Bible that we know that that scripture is completely added by men and was wrong because of 9.14. Are you there? Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast off, but thy disciples fast not? And Jesus said to them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then they shall fast. So Jesus could not scold them for not fasting when he had already said they would not fast until he died and came back. So he would not get on to them for not fasting. So we know that for sure that it was added. But hey, he did scold them for not having faith. He could and he did because he had taught them him, themselves. And we know that before this incident happened, the disciples had been sent out on at least one, we don't know how many, but at least one short-term mission trip. And he sent them forth preaching and healing and casting out devils. And when they came back to him, do you remember what they did? They were rejoicing that even the devils were subject unto them. And so they had been in faith. They had been in faith about authority and using the command of faith and the command of authority. They had been in faith about it. It had worked for them. They came back reporting it worked for us, and they were rejoicing for us, rejoicing about that. So we have that account, and we know that. But I'm going to tell you now why they got into unbelief. And Jesus said it was their unbelief that kept them from being able to handle it. Their unbelief arose because of what they observed the devil doing to the child. This is a very important lesson to us, and that's found in Mark 9, 18. It's so important that we know this. And I'm sure if you're like me, this answered so many questions that you had had in these scriptures. I have struggled with this scripture. Who didn't have faith? Who had the doubt and unbelief? Was it the man? Did he not have faith? Who was Jesus getting on to here and why? We know who he was getting on to now. He was getting on to his disciples. Hallelujah. Because they knew better, been taught, but they also knew it worked because they had been out on their own. Not with Jesus standing right beside them, but on their own they had been out. And listen to verse 18. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. And I asked thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. Hallelujah. And then um, Mark 9, let's start in verse 22. Oftentimes it has cast him into the fire and unto the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Then verse 24, and straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. When Jesus saw the people come running, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. He was as one dead insomuch that many said he is dead. And so we see here that this devil was making a display in front of Jesus and in front of the disciples. This devil was acting up, throwing this kid around. He was foaming. The Bible says he was foaming. He was foaming at the mouth. He was thrashing around on the ground and the 
disciples looked at it just like Peter looked at the water and the storm when he was walking on the water with Jesus when he looked away and looked at the storm he began to sink and they got into unbelief whereas they had been in faith because this devil started acting up now there's going to be things that could happen I hope this don't happen the first night I hope we get some experience. But there could be things that could happen. And for sure, you're going to hear unbelief said through these people's mouths. You're going to hear, the doctor says, I only have two weeks. Whatever this said, we have to be like Jesus. In the Gospels, and this is something so important to learn. Pastor Buzzy used to say this, and I just flat did not get it. But he used to say about the woman with the issue of blood, quit identifying with the woman with the issue of blood. The only person you can identify in all of the Gospels, you can't identify with anybody except Jesus. Because nobody was born again. You can't identify with the disciples because they weren't born again. They weren't who you are. They were not who you are. That's why Jesus said, John the Baptist, the greatest prophet that ever lived, but the least child in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. So we're all greater than all the disciples. Now that'll put religion, oh man, I tell you what. But here's the thing is, how many times have we heard this prayer prayed or even prayed it ourselves? In verse 24, And straightway the father of child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. We cannot pray that prayer. Because we're born again, and we need to quit identifying with this man. And Pastor Buzzy said, quit identifying with the woman with the issue of blood. Just if I could just but touch the hem of his garment. You know, we sing that song. Reach out and touch the Lord as he walks by. Well, you can just reach right inside and touch him. If you need to touch him, hallelujah. Now, I'm all about... I'm all, I'm all about God touching us and having experiences with God, not contradicting that. But we can get over into unbelief trying to touch Jesus when we're already healed. We're already healed. All we have to do is take the authority and drive the devil off. That's all we have to do is take our authority and drive the devil off. Well, he's not listening to some of us because he knows what we were saying two years ago. He knows what we were saying five years ago, and he thinks if he stays around long enough, we'll change our mind. We have to make the demon spirits that are attacking our body, the devil attacking our body, the symptoms attacking our body, we have to make them bow. Hallelujah. Bow, bow in Jesus' name. And then certainly we have to believe God, use our faith to receive healing for any of the damage that He did after He left. So as we're praying, we won't be moved by the symptoms or actions of the prayee. You know, I'll tell you something else. Don't be moved by their words of faith either. Get your faith on it. It's between you and Jesus. And don't let up your faith. Don't quit. Don't stop your faith. Don't back up. That's kind of the conclusions I have come to as I have studied this. So, I'll just tell you this. Acts 7, 11 through 16. The dead are raised by compassion. How Jesus raised the dead? By compassion. But Jesus healed the sick. Why did Jesus heal? Because he had compassion.